Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Outlive the lions. Um, but no, we went up to Michigan. Uh, we went up to Mackinac Island, which is at the very, very top of Michigan. And so I actually have a map of Michigan, if you guys can put that up, um, just so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. So um, I grew up right here, which is the knuckle of the thumb. See how that looks like a, see how that, see how that looks like a mitt? Look, looks like a little mitt? Yeah, Cassie doesn't see it, but I, I am, it, all of Michigan can see it. And so if you can't see it, I don't know. I don't know where you're from. That's right. John's from Michigan originally. Then he was a trader and he moved to Ohio. We'll forgive him for that because he's now in Texas. He come back to Jesus. I did. Yeah, I did. That's true. I went to school there. Uh, was, it, was it your birthday yesterday? Donna's birthday yesterday. Ah, not yours. Happy birthday, Donna. Happy birthday. Um, anyway, I saw something on Facebook, and I was like, okay, somebody's birthday. Um, anyway, so uh, Michigan is known among, uh, among having the biggest militia in the United States. Um, we are known primarily for the Great Lakes, okay? So there are five, uh, anyway, Great Lakes here. Uh, so you're going to get a little education today, fifth grade, fifth grade ge- uh, geography. Uh, this is like the largest body. These lakes are actually really great. I mean, I know in Texas, like you say you have a lake or you've been to a lake. Like, no, these lakes are very different. These lakes are kind of like the ocean. I mean, they're, they, like you can't see the other side, for instance. These are massive lakes. For instance, the one I'm going to talk about tonight or today is Lake Superior right up there. Lake Superior is, is quite deep, quite large. When, when we were there um, on a little boat tour, uh, you, can, you, can, you can Google this if you want. The lady said that Lake Superior is, has so much water. It's all fresh water, by the way. All the Great Lakes are fresh water. Has so much fresh water that if you emptied Lake Superior, it would cover a landmass the size of all of North America and South America, a foot by a foot, a foot of water across that entire. That's a huge lake. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so I, it's, it, I, I got to communicate to Texans. You've never seen a lake like this, but it's, it's, these are massive, massive and massive freight, uh, uh, boats move across these lakes and back, especially like a hundred, 150 years ago, this was the primary way that we got, um, t- material, you know, raw material from this side of our world to this side, over to Wisconsin and some Minnesota and areas like that, and so this this area is is actually there's a lot of freight, a lot of shipping going on, a, a lot of boats moving around, and so we went to Mackinac Island, which is this little guy like right there, and uh, but then but but, but then uh, before that we went up to Sault Ste. Marie, so I know it looks like Salt Ste. Marie, but it's actually it's French. So we, we went there, and, and at Sault Ste. Marie, you might notice there's like this thin little bit of water there. And that is the primary passage for ships to go from Lake Huron, right here, up to Lake Superior. And they need to go to Lake Superior because they need to carry the, the iron ore from Lake Huron, all the ways in which they have mined it, and take it up to Lake Superior to move it over to Minnesota and Wisconsin and those things. 
Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? Uh, apparently, like 90, at one point, like 95% of the iron ore you know, needed for making steel and, and different things came through that passageway for the United States. So much so that in World War II, they, they stationed 7,000 soldiers at Sault Ste. Marie because, uh, because if, if Germany could disrupt the flow of iron from the, the east side, from Lake Huron to Lake Superior, they would shut down like 95% of the weaponry making, uh, airplanes, bullets, all that kind of stuff. And you think about steel, it's kind of important, especially 100 years ago, it was very important. And uh, the, the Germans never tried to disrupt this pass, but it, anyway, it's, it's a significant place, just just FYI. Uh, but there's a problem. So, so, so as usual in God's creation, God, God makes things, God, God wraps things in mystery and in difficulty so that humans can work through difficulty to, to figure him out, to see more of him. That's what science is. It's, it's an attempt to understand God better. And God often wraps himself in, in difficulty uh, so that as we work through that difficulty, we, we learn something about him. And so what was cool, when we were in uh, Salt St. Marie, uh, we, were, we, 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 were, uh, we saw the, the Sioux locks. And so the Sioux locks are something that exists right up in, in, in that little teeny little bit of, of water. And it's actually not teeny, but you can see from the other side. And these locks... Uh, are there for a reason because uh, Lake Superior is 21, I think it's 21 feet higher than Lake Huron. Okay, so these are different lakes, but they're connected. Lake Superior, maybe that's why it's called Superior, I don't know, is 21 feet higher than Lake Huron, which means gravity is going to take its course, right? Which means water flows from the west to the east. Over the course of a few miles, I forget, I think it's three to five miles, you have a descent of 21 feet. So water is flowing out of Lake Superior into Lake Huron. And yet you have these massive ships in Lake Huron that need to get up to Lake Superior. This is a problem, right? They're carrying iron and steel and all this stuff, and yet the water is working against them. And it was working against them so much so that they couldn't make the journey. They couldn't make the pass. They couldn't get up to Lake Superior. So, so this is so this this, this is a problem, and th- this is this is actually a pretty good sermon point because I know many people at City Chapel. It's like they've they've been loaded up with some really good stuff. They know where they need to go. They've actually changed direction in their life. But have you ever been <laughs> stuck? <laughs> have you ever had the flow of of natural consequences pushing against your now new good decisions? You know, like you're trying to go from Lake Huron living to Lake Superior living, but there's just this natural flow that keeps you, that keeps you stuck in Lake Huron living, Lake Huron thinking, Lake Huron uh, belief system, Lake Huron marriage and relationships, Lake Huron parenting. It's just, it's like, okay, you see where you need to go. You even have the stuff you need to get you there. But because of the extreme difference between where you're going and where you are, there's this natural push against you. 
And you cannot get from where you are to where you need to go. And I, and I know many Christians that are just like that. And they just try a little harder next time. And they rev up and they try a little harder next time. And this area right up here that we, that we, that we drove to and that we took a little boat tour around, it used to be like rapids, you know, because you have water moving from 21 feet. I mean, I, that's a pretty strong slant. So water is moving mighty quickly and it's treacherous. And these massive ships just couldn't make it. And this is where actually all humanity finds ourselves. All of us. If you, if you raise your hand and say, yep, yep, I've experienced that. Well, hey, welcome to the club. We've all seen where God wanted us to be and yet felt where we were. And we felt the push of the difference between the two. And we've tried and tried and could not change ourselves. We've tried and tried and cannot elevate to the level that God wants us to be at. We cannot get to the place where God's calling us to be. And so even though we have what we need, yet the very structure of, of where we're going prohibits us from getting there. And so this is where some geniuses, I don't know who they were or when they, they, they invented this, but they invented something called a lock. And a lock, it doesn't have any, or at least this, these particular locks uh, up, up in Sault Ste. Marie, they don't have like any water pumps. They don't need any electricity. They, they use all just gravity. And so I'm going to try to explain a lock to you and then maybe just share, because we went on a little tour to see the locks. And while I was sitting there, I was like, man, this, like this, like I just got to preach on this. I just have to share this with, with the people of City Chapel. And so, because I do believe that there's a lot of biblical truth here. And so if you can go to the next slide, I think it'll show the basic working of a lock. Okay, so this is your basic uh, understanding of a lock. You have Lake Huron over here, right? Lower water here. We have Lake Superior over here, a higher water table. Um, and so somebody came up with this idea. You can't see it because the TV's blocking this. But there is a, a door right here or a lower gate. See that? So what happens is the water will always be at the lower level. So the ship is coming in. He comes into the lock. The ship sits there in the lock. And then they close this lower gate. It's really high. And it looks needlessly high at first. But it's not. Because it's sitting there. And this door over here is also closed. And then what happens is they have different valves underneath that they have dug out that receives water from Lake Superior, the higher water. Gravity pulls that down. And it lifts this up. This lower gate is kind of watertight. Some water is going through. It's mostly watertight though, so that the entire lock fills up with water and lifts the ships uh, the 21 feet that it needs to lift. When it's lifted like that, then they can open the upper gate because you're at the same level with Lake Superior. Does that make sense? And so it's really pretty cool. Um, I have a, have a couple other pictures of the actual locks. If you could go to those so that you can sort of see what I mean in real life. So this is when you're in the lock looking backward, okay? So that's, that's Lake Huron. And those are the, that's the massive gate. These things open like this and then they close. They're on tracks down, down, down underneath. And so you're, you're, you're down under there. If we can go to the next slide. That's behind you. They close, and then this is in front of you. So this is the boat tour that, that we took. And then once, once the lock fills up, see how it's right up to the brim, then the front gate opens, and you're at the same level with Lake Superior. See that? So this is the, the tour. And I actually have a pic. I think there's a, the next pic 
pictures of, of me and Madden. This is, this is us in the lock uh, when we first got in there. This is just massive, you know, cement walls. And so we took a picture. And then the next pic actually shows the front of the lock while it's filling up. See that? There's a beautiful little young lady right there. Um, but then that is the front of the lock as the water is filling up. I think it, I think they, they said it was one billion gallons. That sounds made up. Ten million? Okay. Yeah. Whenever you when you start getting into those numbers, I'm like, what in the world? Ten million, a million gallons a minute. So it takes about ten million, ten, ten minutes, for your ship to elevate. And it was yeah. This is the smaller one. Okay, so and and so anyway, like these things, these things are massive. It fills up, and you're sitting there, and you're slowly just kind of rising. And as I was sitting there, I was like, man, like this is, this is a great sermon illustration because, because this is what this is what church is. <laughs> I feel like this is what church is. People come in at a particular level, right, and they 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 they've been used to living at that level, but God's calling them to live higher, but they don't know how to live higher. And what happens is you come into church and you you, you jump in all the way. You have to close the back door. <laughs> you got you to gotta lock yourself in. You can't be like, well, maybe we'll kind of show up occasionally. Maybe we'll kind of... No, like people who leave the back door open, all that water floods in and it just goes right out. But I've seen people step into City Chapel or other churches, Promised Land, I was a part of for years. I've seen people come into the church, the body of Christ, and if they're willing to commit, if they're willing to lock that back door and really go for it, what happens is it's almost like you don't even notice, but you're but you start you start rising. Over 10 minutes, it's kind of incremental and you sort of don't even know that you're going up, but then you start looking around, you're like, okay, we're a little higher, we're a little higher, we're a little higher. So it's like it's like every single Sunday, you may not have a particular Sunday where you, you fall on, on your face and roll around and just get up a completely different person. Sometimes it's a bit of a process where where the, the, the big deal is when you walk in and you close the door behind you. That's the moment of commitment. But then you lock into it and you and you come and you hear a sermon about lock and you're like, that really didn't do anything for me. But you get, you get a little bit of something and it gets you like a little bit, like an inch higher. And then like the next week you hear a sermon about community and ah, that, that really didn't apply to me. But you go up a little bit and, 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 and incrementally small, like little by little, I've seen people actually elevate within the lock. Like it's, it, it, the, the church is meant to be a place where you can come in at the lowest level and then it prepares you for the level that God wants you to live in, prepares you for a higher level. Anybody getting a little, going up a little bit, maybe just a little bit over, over the course of a month or six months or maybe a year or maybe five years. We've been around almost seven years now. So some of us have been in here for seven years and I've seen people and, and, and it's not like God raises us up to this level so that we can look down on those behind us. He's raising us up to the level of the next season that he has us for. So he's preparing us for where we're going. So the lock doesn't necessarily deal with where you've been. It takes you where, where you are and it raises you to the next level for where God's calling you to go. Because we're all on a journey. We're all moving forward with our faith. And so the lock ends up raising you up. And not only is this the church, but the church is the body of Christ. Therefore, the church is a representation of Jesus. So actually the lock is a picture, not just of the church, but it's also a picture of Jesus himself. 
that this is what Jesus did. And that's actually a great picture if we can leave that or maybe, maybe go back to that. But let's jump into 1 John for just a minute because 1 John is the passage of scripture that we're in, 1 John chapter five. And I feel like the lock helps explain 1 John chapter five, which is a very uh, interesting verse. And so we're just gonna start with verse one here. 1 John chapter five, verse one. Everyone, it says, who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is the NIV version. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This has been a major point for John throughout 1 John. Believing correctly about who Jesus is. Now go on to verse 6. And I'm only going to look at verse 6 today because it's pretty deep. John is now going to explain to us who Jesus is. And anytime John explains anything, it's really deep. But now he's explaining the Son of God. So just get ready. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood. Okay. <laughs> Jesus the Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. If we can leave that up for just a minute. Uh, this is one of the verses I was really struggling with because as I read this, I said, what? Uh, well, like I said, anytime John describes anything, he's going to go really deep with it. And when he starts describing the son of God, he doesn't hold back. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood. Oh, and just in case you're tripped up by that, it wasn't water only, it was also blood. <laughs> And I'm like, so I'm still stuck on the water and blood thing. But no, not just water, Harry, but blood also. Blood is really important. Now, you start reading commentaries on this passage and the, and the, and the following passages. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas. Mostly, uh, most people deal uh, with this passage prophetically. So uh, the, the, the great prince of preachers, um, what's his name uh, in, uh, from... Oh, Back in the eight, late 1800s, um, God, his name just totally left me. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. He dealt with it. Yeah, the only one who's ever been called the Prince of Preachers. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he, he dealt with it all very symbolically. The water stands for this and the blood stands for that. Um, which is how I think Matthew Henry deals with it, Adam Clark, many of uh, biblical writers, they see it as, um, as, as a type and a shadow of something else, which John frequently does that. So that's not necessarily wrong, but for me, I'm looking, I'm kind of simple. So I'm trying to get as simple as possible before I go into this deeper stuff, which next week we will get into it because next week he then talks about how these three things, the water, the blood, and the spirit, how they all testify or they all come into agreement. So next week, I'm going to talk about the power of agreement. But for today, I'm just trying to understand, John, what are you talking about? Jesus is the one who came by or who came through or who came because of, that, that word by can mean either of that, came through water and blood. Now, 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 there's a lot of ways that you can take this, but I'm just going to try to go as simple as possible. I, I really feel like what John is saying here is, is, is that Jesus came by water, meaning the water of the womb. So typically in scripture, when, when you're coming through water, 
in birth, it has to do with amniotic fluid. As soon as a baby is conceived, maybe that baby is then protected throughout the next, I don't know, 40 weeks or so. Uh, as it's growing, it is being fed, it is being created within that sac, and it's kind of like a water-type substance. And so I think, number one, John is saying that Jesus came by water, meaning he was a literal, actual human. Now, why is that important? Because John is writing, uh, here's the, he's, he's the last living apostle, as, as we talked about, and he's writing to help Christians, not just of his age, but of every age, uh, going down through the ages, uh, to help us to know what we believe. And what was happening at that time, this is about 80 years after Christ uh, ascended into heaven. This is, he's, John is old. Most believe he's between 90 and 100 years old. And he's, he's an old, old man. He's the last living apostle. And he is saying, look, this is really important that you know this. And what was happening during that time is these false teachers had ridden, risen up in the church called Gnostics. They were teaching something called Gnosticism. One wing of Gnosticism basically taught that all humans are sinful. All humans are sinful. You might have heard, is human. Well, that didn't necessarily start uh, 400 years ago. That was, that was an idea of we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be full of sin. We're going to sin because we are human. And this was, their, this was their theology, that humans were just sinful. And while that theology certainly helped explain their behavior... Come on, somebody. Anytime you make a, make a, make a belief system in order to justify your life is probably not going to be a biblical belief system. And, and, and they ran into some problems, as you would expect. The primary problem they ran into was somebody spoke up and said, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus a human? Oh, yeah. Uh, hmm, about that. And so they went to work. And this is why there are Gnostic Gospels, because they rewrote the Gospels. They wrote their own version of the Gospels, the Gospels that sort of spoke to their belief system and their theology. These Gnostic Gospels were thrown out uh, at the Council of Nicaea, but, but they were still, like, they were abundant because they said, no, wait a minute, uh, humans are sinful, therefore Jesus could not have truly been human. So one of the, the theories was that Jesus merely looked human, right? Like, like those angels that would appear in the Old Testament. They look like regular people. They're wearing clothes. They look like they have hair and teeth, you know? And, but they really weren't. And so he was crucified, but he wasn't really, like he looked like he was bleeding, but really it was all, it was all just, it was fake. It was all just a show because he was symbolically dying for the sins of the world because he can't really be human because humans are sinful. And this is, this, this, is, this is something that John has been arguing against from the very beginning of his letter, right? In 1 John chapter 1, he starts talking about Jesus. He says, the one that we saw, the one that we touched with our hands. Yes. Why would you? That's weird, John. What are you talking about? Are you touching on Jesus? Well, no, I'm just letting you know that we could actually touch him. He was a real person. And now I believe John is reiterating that. He's saying, look, it's really important. Jesus came by water. He came through a birth canal. He had two eyes, 10 fingers, 10 toes. He had teeth, he had hair, he had cavities. He was like, he was truly human. And why is that important? Because in order for Jesus to be the lock, in order for Jesus to take us from where we are to where we need to be, he actually had to go where we are. See, if you're only... If your only God is somebody that you pray to, like, hope I don't offend anybody, but 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. If that's your relationship to your God, she is holy and other and separate. And I just need her to pray for me because I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm lost. And I just need her or him or them or whatever to have mercy on me. If that's your, if that's your only God, then you, then you don't have Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus was not content to merely be this holy person who was other than us. And that we would sheepishly hope that he just doesn't cast us into hell forever. He was meant to be a lock where he, he dug down into the trenches of humanity. And he literally became one of us. He literally, like, 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 like God had to wear diapers. God had to be spoon-fed by his mom. God had to learn how to talk. God, God was a toddler, which means God probably got spankings. <laughs> scripture, now it's not exactly in the Bible, but scripture does say that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. I quote that to my kids all the time. This is how you learn obedience, through suffering. It helps you learn obedience, right? And, and we, we see in, when, when, in the gospels, when Jesus is 12 years old, right? His, his, his parents take him to the temple and he sticks around at the temple for like three days. That was prophetic. But anyway, they lose track of him. Then they go back and they find him and they say, what are you doing here? And, he's, and he explains what he's doing there. And they say, no, 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 you don't need to be about your father's business. You need to come home. And the Bible says that he went with them to them. So every 12 year old in here, look, Jesus knows what it is to be 12 and be smarter than his parents. You know what I'm saying? And still submit to his parents and still obey his parents. God had to like submit to Mary and Joseph. That's crazy. Like this never happened. God's never submitted to anybody. God's never listened to anybody tell him what to do. He's never confined his behavior to somebody else's ability to understand. And yet at 12 years old, Jesus did that. Why? So why is it so important? That it's because if he is to be the lock, he has to dig down into the trenches of humanity. He has to be there with us. He has to be in the dirt with us. He has to be in the struggle with us. He has to be in adolescence with us. He has to have raging hormones. <laughs> I'm just saying, he had like everything that we've faced, he has to face it. If he's going to be something other than just somebody way up there who hopefully will have mercy on us, if he's going to be an empowerer, and by the way, if you're going to be an empowerer, you're going to have to get on level with people. You're going to have to get where they are. You're going to have to talk to them. <laughs> you can't just be the church and seclude yourself off somewhere and be like, well, we're holy and we don't want them to mess up our holiness. No, like, it's not about that. It's about us getting on level with people to help them come up to the next level. And this is the way it works. This is the way Jesus works. This is the way we work as a church. So if you come into City Chapel and you're down here, like that's, that's where you're supposed to be. Don't feel bad about that. We're happy to take you right there because that's exactly where we meet people. We meet people in the struggle. We meet people in the conflict. We meet people in the compromise and in the addiction and in the messed up attitudes and pride and arrogance and, and, and anxiety and self-defensiveness. Self, uh, 
this. Like that's where we, that's, that's where we work. That's where God works. God doesn't work in Lake Superior. He does his work in Lake Huron. You know what I'm saying? Because like the lock, if you look back at the picture of the lock, the lock starts, it, is, it, is, it, is, it starts in Lake Superior. It starts on the high ground, but it digs low enough to be able to associate with the low ground. See, you have to be, Jesus had to be God, but he also had to actually be man in order to connect with man. He had to go through our struggles. It's important. And if your God is just an aberration or just a, just a vision or just a spirit who came and did a, spoke a few things, he wasn't just here to teach. Yeah, he was here to lift you up. His teaching was a part of the power, but the, power, the real power was his experience, was his life, that God would become man, literally, physically, actually, he didn't just come from the clouds. He didn't appear behind a tree somewhere. He didn't just show up. He was born. In other words, God wanted his son to go through the entire human experience and to be 30 years old, a time at that stage in which almost every 30-year-old male would have been married. <laughs> all, the single, all the single people, God knows what it's like. He knows what it's like for your life to be beneath your desires, for your experience to be less than your dreams. Like, that's where he lived. He knows what disappointment is like. He knows what desire is like. He knows what, what failure feels like. He knows what it's like to hit his thumb with a nail because he was a carpenter, had to have done it a couple of times. He knows, like, like we serve a God who not only like, knows mentally, but has a, literally experienced life on earth. He came by water. And it's important. It's important they understand that he came by water, but also that he came by blood. And John seems to emphasize this point, that he came by water and blood. Oh, not just water, but also blood. And so just as we get ready to close, I want to dig into this idea of blood a little bit. And then next week, we'll get into more of the prophetic way in which all of these agree and the ways in which we can enter into agreement with them. But the, the, the water, I believe, is just simple birth. It's a physical human person. But then he says that you have to understand he came by blood also. And blood is different because blood is what's flowing inside of a person. Uh, old wives' tales used to say that, uh, that people would get their blood type from their father, not from their mother. That's not necessarily true. We now know that actually a baby's blood type is just, is, is almost randomly selected from uh, input from both father and mother. In other words, when, when he says that he came by blood, he's not necessarily talking about his divinity, even though he was fully God. He's, he's looking deeper than the skin, I believe. He's looking deeper than the fact that he was merely, and I say that lightly, merely human. In other words, I think many times as we think about Jesus, we think about someone who was, yes, human. And yes, you know, stubbed his toe like we did. And yes, learned how to walk and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, he was still God on the inside. That he became human sort of like somebody might become a police officer, I guess. You know, you get up in the morning, you're a regular Joe, and then you put on the uniform and you put the big belt on, got the badge, and now you're a police officer. Underneath, though, you're still just Joe, but on, 
out, on the outside, you're a police officer. Or maybe like, since I'm mentioning Joe, Joe would like to dress up as Batman, right? So maybe it's more like Batman, right? You have Joe, who's Joe, and then he puts on, you know, leotards and uh, these big blue underwear and a cape and a mask and boom, he's Batman. It's almost like Jesus, like God put on humanity. He just put on a jacket. And he walked around, and he experienced the pain and, 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 and the sorrow of humanity, difficulty of having to travel. Never had that before. Uh, difficulty, so much difficulty, but underneath the jacket, he was still just God, right? So it was easier for him to trust the Father, obviously, because he's God. It was easier for him to pray in difficult times because, well, he's God. It was way easier for him to know what to do in any given situation because, well, he's God. And it is true that he is God. But here John is bringing about a a, a theological doctrine known as the hypostatical union. That's a big $5 word for saying that he is both fully God and fully man at the same time. Meaning that he had flesh, yes, but he also had blood. Blood is what carries memory. There's certain types of memory, like subconscious type memory, that's not carried here. It's carried in the blood uh, from one father and mother to a child. So for instance, like when Madden was two years old, she stood just like me when I was two years old. And she never saw me when I was two years old. And I never taught her how to stand like that. But my mom was visiting one time. She's like, she stands just like you. Because there's certain things that are just programmed in us. And the Bible talks about that as relating all the way back, right, to Moses, to Noah. All of us come from Noah. And then from Noah to Adam. So that we all have a propensity to sin because of Adam, because of his sin. And so we're all born under the law. We're all born under this curse. We're all born with this blood type, whatever our blood type is. The human blood type means that we're going to take after our parents. And that's not always a good thing. Right? There's some good things about them, just like there's some good things about Mary, but you can be for sure there's some bad things about Mary too. You can be absolutely sure some bad things about Mary's parents. And that same blood is in Jesus's veins. In other words, that Jesus not only took on the form of man or like the outside appearance of flesh, but he also took on human nature, which is a much bigger deal to take on human nature and God nature at the same time. And, 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 and this is where I'm probably confronting your own Gnosticism because you tend to think human nature is bad and ought to be escaped from. But Jesus proves that it's not. He came by water and by blood. By the way, Adam, before he sinned, also had human body and blood. You're talking about going back to the garden? You can't go back to the garden without flesh and blood because it was flesh and blood in the garden. And so, and so for Jesus, it's important, John says, it's important that you know that he came by water, yes, but he also came by blood, meaning that he was tempted in every way just as we are, but without sin. That's the way Hebrews says it. In other words, he felt within himself for the first time, he felt the draw, the allure of sin. Oh, Jesus wasn't tempted by that. Only, only dirty people are tempted by it. No, Jesus was tempted 
in every way, scripture says. What have you been tempted in this week? How guilty did the enemy make you feel just simply for being tempted? (laughs) And the reason the enemy can make you feel guilty is because you don't understand that Jesus also was tempted by that very thing. He didn't fall to it. He didn't give in to it. But he knows what it is. This is why Hebrews says that we don't have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weaknesses. Empathy is where you feel the pain of somebody else. You feel what's going on inside of them. Not just the outside. Right? Like if, if, if you see somebody else stub your toe, you can feel the pain of that on the outside because we've both felt that. But empathy has to do with feeling what's going on on the inside. So God knows what's going on on the inside from an experiential basis. In other words, he was tempted to think those thoughts. He was tempted to take that drug. He was tempted to respond like that. He was tempted to say that behind so-and-so's back. He was tempted in every way. And we don't, and we don't like to think of Jesus this way because we've been listening to the enemy for far too long that our human nature is just messed up eternally, messed up, always messed up, always going to be messed up until we die. And John says, no, that's not the case. You have humanity and divinity in the same house living at peace together. You can have a lock. (laughs) Something that's built on the high ground that digs down to the low ground that takes people from the low ground up to the high ground. Because Jesus was tempted. That same push, that that same push that I was talking about, that you're trying to get to high ground and you feel that push, you're trying to make better decisions, you feel that push. He felt the push of 5,000 years of human history. That's, that's, that's more than 21 feet of water. That's, that's a whole lot of power and force coming again. This is why he had to be God. This is why Joe Schmo couldn't do it for us. Because you and I cannot stand up to 5,000, 6,000, now 7,000 years of recorded human history. But Jesus, because he is fully God and fully man at the same time, could stand up to that Niagara of, 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 of lust, that Niagara of addiction, that Niagara of anger and pain and, and bitterness and self-seeking, that he could stand up to that Niagara and actually withhold it and hold it back. And that's what a lock has to do. You have to be able to close the front door so that all of the weight of Lake Superior is stopped at the door. Because if that front door doesn't work, it doesn't matter if the back door works. Because water's still coming through. And so something has to stop the flow. Something has to stop the generational curses. Something has to stop the the anger and the the need to speak up for yourself. Something has to stop the lack of self-confidence. Something has to stop the questioning and always trying to posture myself in a particular way so that others will think well of me. Something has to stop the pride. And it was Jesus. Jesus is the one who stopped it. He, he, He built a barrier so that when we, we, so that we could come in to him. So that when we come into him, we also are saved from 7,000 years of human history. <laughs> this is why within one generation, an entire family's legacy can change. Right? This is why Romeo can walk in here. And an entire legacy is changed. 
No, that should take a lot longer because he had a whole lot of water under the bridge. You know what I'm saying? A whole lot of weight pressing on his life. He should be messed up. He should be in jail for his whole life. He should be angry. He should be bitter. But no, Jesus blocked it. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to block all that because he dealt with it. I'm going to hold it. And then you come in to me, Romeo. You come in to me because in me, there's not the pressure of 7,000 years of human history. Because in me, I, I have a new humanity. There's a new place. There's a place of rest now where you're not trying to fight it. Where you simply rest in me and I elevate you. You simply rest in me and I input into you uh, 10 million gallons of water in 10 minutes. I just start pouring in the stuff that you couldn't do for yourself. And it's not based on effort, it's based on resting. It's not based on effort, it's based on staying. So the fight is to stay in Jesus. The fight is to stay where you've committed to stay. The fight is to remain. The fight is not to move forward, the fight is to remain. And if you will remain, you'll be able to move forward without a fight. You know, if you'll stay in Jesus. So let's just pray. Those watching from home, I just feel the Holy Spirit is just drawing somebody. So the Holy Spirit is just calling somebody and saying, look, you can keep trying to fight uphill if you want. You can keep trying to do this religion thing if you want, or you can come into Jesus. And you can, you can feel the rest of not having to fight 7,000 years of learned helplessness. 7,000 years of learned lustfulness. 7,000 years of, 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 of dealing with things from a human perspective, from the knowledge of good and evil. You can step into Jesus and he will be the lock. He will be the connection between where you want to go and where you are. What do you have to do? Well, you have to close the back door. <laughs> you have to commit. You have to say, I'm going into Jesus and I'm not looking back. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm, not, I'm cutting out all my other options. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm, and I, and, and, and I'm going to lay down this, this alcohol that I keep turning to. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to lay down this sex that I keep turning to. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to lay down this gossip that I keep turning to makes me feel better about myself. I, I'm, I'm going to instead follow. I'm going to rest in Jesus. I'm going to close the back door. I'm going to allow him to fill me. I'm going to allow, it's going to take a while, but I'm going to allow him to incrementally raise me up to the level that I was created to be at. The level I was made to be at. So if that's you today, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. I just want to pray with you and I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God. You can always let us know in the card what decisions you're making today. But just simply, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. And you can just say something as easy as, as God, I need you. <laughs> I've been trying this on my own. I've been trying this religion thing on my own power. And it hasn't been working. I I'm, I'm literally fighting upstream. Fighting against generational curses. Fighting against my old patterns, my own life my old life. And so, Lord, instead of fighting towards something, I want to rest in you. So I make a commitment today to close the back door. I make a commitment to close the back gate and to remove all other options. I make a commitment to follow you. I will spend time with you. 
this week. I will pray to you when I'm in the car. I will read the Bible if I have one. I will go on Google and find one. I'll start reading First John. I'll start finding out what you have to say to me so that you can fill me. The biggest thing is really just trust. Lord, I trust you to lift me up to the level you want me to be at. I trust you that every change that you want to have happen, you will make happen in my life. I trust you. And some of us have been, quote, saved for a long time, but we still don't trust him. <laughs> Father, I trust you that every change you want to have happen in my life, you will perform it, right? That, that what has been committed to you, that you will keep it against the last day. You'll keep it to the very end. I trust you. I throw myself on you, on Jesus. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And it's in him that we find life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us for worship today.